Welcome to Welcome to the Gun Show. I am joined by Tarek. Hey there, hi there, ho there. We're just already talking about hoes. I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I need to tell you a joke later. I can't tell it on the air. Oh, fuck, it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking shit for an hour. You couldn't have told me the joke then. Um, <laughs> it only popped back in my head when you did your greeting. <laughs> so I'll, I will have forgotten it by the time I'm supposed to tell you it. So, <laughs> um, cool stuff. Shall we? Shall we just roll straight into the thing? Unless there's anything we need to announce. I don't know if there uh, is. Not that I can think of. Cool. So let's just roll straight of. into it. Um, we had some people, you know, you are, ask some things. You know which things about some things, you know, which things that they know nothing about. And stuff. And stuff. So we thought we'd have a, a, a little chat about them things, um, because I know a little bit about them. Terry claims to have, like, shot one of these at one point, but he doesn't really know how they work. Well, um, <laughs> I'm correct in saying you don't know how they work, though. It's just black magic. In fact, I... I'm a factory armorer, which is why I get you to fix mine. Um, <laughs> yes, He's a factory armorer on a gun that requires a gunsmith. Yeah. <laughs> that oh. was just someone figuring out a way to monetize giving away certificates. That <laughs> I think. Uh, Our armor is course for a gun that requires a gunsmith, but we didn't use this a file once. Um, not that I would give me a file. Um, no. Definitely not. That sounds that sounds dangerous, like something that would end poorly. Um, you don't even have one of those in your hand for that. I don't. I don't. I, I have I have my lethal weapon gun. Yeah, disappoints. Disappoints. Look at look at that. Look at that. Oh, look at that. No, I'm not doing that with you. Come on, would go boom. Go decock yours. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> in case you're wondering, tonight we will be discussing God's Gun, the pinnacle of handgun design by the great prophet John Moses Browning, peace be upon him. Um, no, not what happens when a Belgium fucks it up. Um, yes, no, but, no high powers, thank you. But the 1911, and why it's the greatest gun in the world ever. And why you probably shouldn't buy one, despite it being the greatest gun in the world ever. <laughs> Shall we just roll straight into why you shouldn't buy one? Because that's the longest part of this whole show. <laughs> I mean, the shortest part is they're the best to shoot. Um, they can have the nicest triggers. Um, A now let's get into the negative. Trigger. <laughs> A shitty 1911 trigger is still better than any, like a good almost anything else trigger. Um, exactly. Exactly. So, so, and for the record, neither Corn and I are, are gunsmiths or fucking historians, or but we are um, massive fanboys. Um, and as much shit as I've given him over the years about 1911s, I've had 1911s for a lot longer than I've known Corn, in fact. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is true. And I'll start with why you shouldn't. If you don't have one already, my general advice is don't get into them. Um, 
And I'll tell you what. Moses Browning like rolls over in his grave twice. <laughs> For no other reason than if you're going to get into them, you're going to get into them anyway. And then this actually doesn't apply to you. But there are a lot of guys who got into guns and probably our 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 typical lis- listener is, is is someone who got into guns in the era of the plastic people bopper. Um, they have owned guns that don't require gunsmiths. Um, they've owned guns that don't require parts fitting, and 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 they're used to guns that, to be blunt, work out the box. Um, and if you need to change a part, you you take out the old part, you put in the new part, and it, the, the gun continues to be the gun. Um, 1911s are completely not that. Um, they, they are <laughs> they are basically um, late 19th century technology. Um, but they come from a time where where, where labour was was a thing, um, and machines have. Think about how many how many machines do we use in pretty much the same mechanical format. Because yeah, they've we've put beaver tails and big sights and bullshit on them, but mechanically it's the same gun that the US Ordnance Department adopted um in I think February 1911, if I remember correctly. Um how many other machines from that era do we use that have the same mechanics? Uh because I'll tell you what, if I if either of us got into a car from 1911, we probably couldn't pull off. I mean, we'd probably struggle to get into it. Um <laughs> But we almost definitely couldn't start it or drive off in it. Uh, so, so that's why they are. There is truly no pistol that shoots like a 1911. They are just the man was a genius. He he understood ergonomics before that was a word, like no one else. They are spectacular. But I've seen guys get really frustrated with them because when you go, well, what mags have you tried? Well, the mags it came with. Well, those are probably shit. Um, you know, oh, certainly should. <laughs> you know, unless you bought a freaking Nighthawk or or a Wilson or, or, or something, um, the mags that came in with the gun are probably shit. Uh, in fact, I don't even know what the Nighthawk mags are like. Um, you know, the yes, you just bought a really expensive Wilson Combat bulletproof extractor, um, but of course it's not going to fucking work because you haven't tensioned it, tensioned it, and fitted it. Um, so. It, it can cause massive frustration um, f- for guys expecting this thing to work like they're used to machines working. Like even a CZ75, which is now fucking getting close to 50 years old, um, take it out the box, it'll probably work. They do require a bit of fitting and they're fucking hard to work, harder than a 1911. Um, but it's a relatively... <laughs> It's a relatively easy thing to make work, whereas a 1911 may work and may not work. And if you do the right things, you may get it to work fantastically. And once you've got one running until it decides otherwise, um, they they can be ridiculously reliable. Um, and I think that's something people don't understand about them. There's There's these perceptions, like, you know, guys think that, there's lots of jokes about jam on your toast and you know they're they're unreliable and and a properly set up 1911 is will just fucking run like a stabbed rat uh but the key th- phrase is properly set up um 
and once again, if it's a new gun that and and the box didn't say Wilson Combat or or, or similar, it's probably not going to work out the box. <laughs> so I just pulled up uh, the Nighthawk custom website while you were talking. Mm. Looking at the follower design and the actual mag body and the shoe, um, I'm going to say even though these say Nighthawk custom on them, um, they're Wilson mags. Out there, Wilson. There's there, there is some. Uh, for a long time, there was massive animosity between the two, um, because basically Nighthawk was a whole lot of ex Wilson gunsmiths that fucked off and started so, so, their own. So, so let me let me say this slightly mm. differently. They're so the same OEM. These, well, <laughs> I'm not going to say that because I don't know that, but I'm going to say that these sure do look like Wilson mags to me, and I own a lot of them. These look like Wilson mags. Um, I'm not saying that these are made by Wilson, but it would make sense if a whole bunch of Wilson dudes went somewhere else. <laughs> so, okay, so so this mag, the 45 mag, does not look like a Wilson. So I, if the I remember, the 9 mag looks like. If I remember correctly, um, and I, I could be mistaken, but I know they used to use, I think it's ACT, A-C-T, one of the Italian manufacturers. But yeah, that looks. Dude, the nine more mag looks like a looks like a Wilson mm. mag. I, I I don't know what the forty five is. Um, that follower looks kind of peculiar. I've seen looks, them before. I just can't place which mag which gun. You, looks you know, like. you know what the follower looks like. Like the, the old me, uh, Mega follower. Yeah, that is what um, the forty five one looks like. Anyway, so everyone is is kind of lost in what we're talking about. So I'm going to head back talking about the actual guns. No. Um, yeah, this is geeking might... out about shit that doesn't matter, but really matters. You, you know what that ma- nine mil mag looks like? It's not a Wilson mag. The nine mil mag looks like a metal form mag. Seriously, it looks like a uh, the ten round ten round nine mil mag. That looks like a metal form mag to me. Look at the follower. Anywho. Um... <laughs> No, that, that looks like I'll I'll pull one out later and we'll compare. Because um, um, I'm curious. Now. Anyway, moving yeah. along from stuff that you guys can't see, understand, or know what the fuck we're talking about. I'm so sorry. Welcome to the fantastic show. This radio. Is how it's always been. <laughs> I mean, I did hold my phone quite close to the microphone. Yeah, they should be. They should have been able to hear what that bag looks like. Um, so, so, so let's. Uh, I mean, let, let's just dive into where we primarily use 1911s now t i mean the the two of us i can't talk for the entire world but um okay i shoot them extensively in competition um it's in fact been like the primary thing that i've been shooting in competition for probably last three years Mm. um i mean i suppose that that doesn't maybe it's last four years three years I don't know. 2020 didn't count, even though I still shot a fair amount of matches in 2020. But um, I mean, and, and if we include 2011s, which are basically fat 1911s, it's even longer. Another, yeah, I've got another bits on top of that. Um, I've probably shot through my guns, I don't know, 70,000 rounds of mine? Not through a single gun, but through the mm-hmm. collection. And then I think I shot sort of 15,000, maybe 20,000 of 40. Um, which is a fair bit for the for the short period that I've been yeah. shooting them. You've obviously shot significantly more than that through them because you've been shooting them for um, fucking millennia. He's, he's going to point out that I'm old. 
as bold. You're bold, but still, old as bold. <laughs> I got my first 1911, which I still have, despite my reputation for gun rentals, that is um, probably the gun I would have the absolute hardest time selling. I got that gun uh, 25 years ago. Um, so some of our listeners are <laughs> were born after I got that gun, which and was built still, in the same year I was born. You you still have the original box of ammo it came up with, right? You shot <laughs> two rounds out of it and then put it back in the safe, and you've never touched it since. So that gun was my carry gun for a long time, um, and was my primary pin gun for a while. Uh, it's been a project for fucking ever. Um, shot the last nationals with it. Uh, and then, so yeah, that, that gun has a very special place in my heart. And then my primary competition gun for a little bit uh, has been a 9mm one, a 9mm 1911, um, which is in fact the gun that uh, finally got me to a world cheap. Um, <laughs> and I shot... Uh, I shot 2011 for a couple of years as well in Ipswich. Um, so I don't, I don't generally carry a 1911. Not, not for any, honestly, not for any sort of like dramatically anti 1911 uh, reasons. Um, but <laughs> my 92, of that I think, is a little bit lighter, less sharp edges, and holds more bullets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right but so that's that's mm. Derek out i'm going to kick him out now and we'll <laughs> <laughs> but I, I i did carry one for a very very long time um uh and yeah as i said I've, I've shot i shot pins with him i shot id pair with him a little bit and i've shot ipsic with a little bit of, with, uh, with, with him a little bit um and they are my favorite guns. Uh, as I say, I, I, I love to give you shit about them, but they are—they do remain my 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 favorite guns. Um, and once you've got them, once you've worked out what what your gun likes, and that this is what we, we guys sometimes struggle. If you buy a Glock and put Glock magazines in it. It'll probably like those magazines. If you buy a Beretta and you put Beretta mags, you buy a Sig and put Sig magazines in, it'll, it'll probably work. You might have a 1911 that loves Wilson mags, and I might have one that likes Metal Four mags, um, and that both those guns might run 100% until I accidentally pick up one of your mags. Um, it's not always that extreme, but uh, I, I've I've seen a fair amount of guns where uh, they would give intermittent sit with with some mags and then you put another brand of mag in them and they work hundreds um, and that's one of the challenges with the gun uh, maybe what we must do if we're going to discuss making the guns work bear in mind that the easiest 1911 to make work is going to be a five inch gun jammed in 45 acp with a seven shot magazine using a 230 grain round nose bullet because that's what it was designed for. Um, and there was a spec on what the fucking angle on the ogive was. And and if you, those those guns worked. I mean, jokes aside, um, they worked reliably. The, the, the thing that 
they probably didn't work as they didn't work quite as reliably as we necessarily expect today or, or as maintenance free as we expect today um but they they were reliable machines you know the u.s military used them from 1911 to officially 1985 but a bit longer than that um and they didn't develop a reputation for being a terribly unreliable gun um what started what started the challenges was people messing with them um uh, you know one 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 thing was obviously not not maintaining them um but the other thing is now we're going to go i'm going to put eight rounds in a magazine designed to take seven rounds what could go wrong i'm going to take a gun that's designed to use this bullet shape and i'm going to use a totally different bullet shape and then go oh it doesn't work it must be shit um I'm going to take a gun designed to work around a particular cartridge because the gun and the cartridge were designed sort of, well, the cartridge was originally, I think, in the 1905, but which which was a, a prequel. Um, the two things were designed to work together, and I'm going to put it in a different cartridge uh, with totally different dimensions and then wonder why it doesn't work. Um, and, and that sort of thing holds true to today. Um, you know, it's a thing Massey Yub's written about a lot. Most guns work best in their original format. If the gun was originally launched as a server size nine more, that model is generally going to work the best. Um, if you make it more compact, that's not to say it won't work, but it's going to be slightly less reliable. Um, if you now make it a 40 um, and a compact, well, now you're cascading shit. And, and it's kind of the same with the 1911. The, the five inch 45 is most likely to be the most reliable variant. It's, it's the one that's going to require the next, the least fuckery to work reliably. Um, as you get away from that more, um, and we'll get into things like offices and ACPs, uh, <laughs> um, the more there is to go wrong. That is true. Just to expand on that a little bit. The reason things start going wrong when you use different cartridges isn't necessarily because you're, you're going to a different sort of cartridge. It's because of the dimensions that change. 9mm is considerably shorter than 45 is. 40 is shorter than 45 is. Not considerably, but it is shorter. And, uh, fat. you, and fatter. It's like a shitty fat. If you run something like 10 mil auto or you're running uh, 38 super, those tend to work reasonably reliably because you're closer to the original overall length of the cartridge. Um, that doesn't mean that they will work, but they're, they're easier to make work than a gun in 9 mil, um, which is in turn probably a little bit harder to make work than a gun in 40, um, unless you're doing it. I think a nine mil nine mil factory length is probably easier to make work than a forty factory length. Like forty fact, is a fact, factory length, yes. Yeah, not not factory. not loaded, not yeah. loaded um, to sort of ten mil in a forty case length. Yes, so that's where we get into things like loading nine mil, um, pretty damn long, to the point where your friend with his shadow two can't shoot your ammo. <laughs> Loading 40 to the point where you need a an entirely different case gauge so you can check them for your 40 guns because if it'll fit a factory gun, 
it won't run in these. It's going to be unreliable as all fuck. Um, let's quickly mention what the frame sizes are, T, and and okay. the, uh, and the uh, barreling, so that that people have some context. So, so the classic. We'll use Colt's definitions because. Yep. Because otherwise same reason I I call a. A silencer, a silencer, because Hiram Mason called it a silencer when he invented it. And if you invent it, you get to name it. Um, so the classic full-size grip, um, it's five-inch barrel format, is generally called a government model. Um, and that's the that's the original sort of 1911 format. Um, then the, the next size variant that came out, which was 49, uh, is a commander. Commander uses the same length magazine as a as a government model, um, so it's the same length grip. Uh, the frame isn't identical though because the dust cover is a little bit shorter, um, and those traditionally use a four and a quarter inch barrel. Um, and fun fact: the original Commander was a nine mil, wasn't a forty five, um, yep. which is why nine mil commanders can be a little bit easier to make work. Um, then in the about the mid 80s i think uh, we saw the launch of the officers acp um, which was kind of colt's knockoff of the daytonics um, which is a shorter grip so the the traditional you know the commander in the government model is a, is traditionally a seven round 45 mag the, the officers is a six round mag uh, people often refer to it as an officer's model and that is actually technically um, a revolver um, it's Officer's ACP, which was based, I think, on the M15 General Officer's model. Um, and that is a three and a half inch barrel. And was probably the least reliable, least durable 1911 variant Colt ever made. <laughs> yep. Um, and then, then the Defender is the same frame as an Officer's, but with a three inch um, generally bull barrel. Uh, so the officers traditionally used a three and a half inch barrel with a, um, a funny little barrel bushing. Um, the the defender is a three inch barrel with a bull barrel, and those generally work better than officers. Um, the big challenge there is, especially in forty five, you need to be sort of really good about recoil spin replacement because they're very hard on them. Um, so. The whole gun is generally a bit more maintenance and intensive than a than a plastic people popper in that you're probably going to have to replace parts a little bit more more often. Not not to the extent guys think, but you know, like if you're going to run an officer's ACP, um, very good advice I got from someone much cleverer than me was make sure you replace the recoil spring every 500 rounds. Um, and when you say that to people, they look at you like you're made out of cheese. Um, and then wonder why the gun doesn't work. Uh, but those are those are kind of the generally accepted sizes. It's Springfield did a four-inch sort of commander variant, which they called something else. It was like a kernel or something. There's um, there's all sorts of weird other sizes and in-between sizes and things made by other manufacturers. Um, none of those matter. Um, <laughs> For the purposes of this discussion, um, because the the general things that I'm about to say will hold true um, for those. So the shorter you go, 
Oh, sorry, go ahead, T. So the, the, the only other variant that it's pretty rare, but it, it does occur generally outside of the cult ecosystem, but there's a terminology people people use, so it's probably worth knowing, is what they call the CCO, which is a, a commander top end on an officer's frame, um, which is probably a spectacular little carry gun, actually. Yep. Uh, I think the Nighthawk T3 is built on those sort of lines, if I remember correctly. I think so. That sounds right. So... Um, so the the shorter you go on the barrel and by extension the slide, the less space you have for a recoil spring, which means the springs get shorter. You're still needing to contain the same amount of force applied to that spring. So the springs generally get rated higher. You need a stiffer spring. That makes the guns harder to cycle by hand, obviously, because you're dealing with a with a heavier spring. It means that the interval or the time that the gun has, or the magazine has, to feed the next round to the gun is shorter. One, because the slide is lighter and coming back with a little bit more velocity. Um, two, it's being closed by a spring that is a lot stiffer and closes the gun more quickly. So now you're running into issues where if the spring, if the recoil spring is slightly fucked, the gun is going to run unreliably. And because springs get weaker over time, you're probably going to be beating the gun to death and you're going to get increased slide velocity. So the slide is going to move even faster rearwards, and not necessarily fast forward, but faster rearwards, which causes all sorts of issues with, with feeding in 1911s. If with those mags and, and sort of a, a shorter, so let's talk commander. Commander length guns can work spectacularly well. I know I have one that works really, really well. Um, they can be a nightmare for that, that exact reason. If on this gun I'm running, for instance, mags with like tired mag springs, I'm much more likely to have issues than if I was running a, a full-size government model. Um, step that down a little bit more and we go to an officer's or we, we go to a defender and that problem is amplified even more. You now have a shorter interval, you have a slide that moves even more rapidly because there's less weight for the same cartridge. Uh, the, the mags have less time in order to feed the next round. And then when we talk about how the feeding system on the 1911 works in the moment, hopefully you'll, you'll get some idea of why that goes wrong. Um, but it makes the guns incredibly sensitive the shorter you go to ammo. They need to be sufficiently powerful to cycle the gun, but not so powerful that you're running into issues in the really short guns, because uh, you can have too much, right? If you're running... I don't know if anyone makes like an officer's or, or, a, or a commander a defender size gun in 10 mil. I saw a had... picture of one today. It was a custom job. It's probably fucking useless, but it was kind of cool. I mean, it would be <laughs> fuck loud. But if you're running a gun like that and you have slightly tired recoil springs and you're running like original spec uh, 10 mil auto, um, that's a world of fucking trouble. That gun's probably never going to work. Um, Those have like, probably got about a thousand round lifespan. Yes. <laughs> Which is more than you'll want to shoot it. So that's okay. It'll last a lifetime. But <laughs> um, So yes, the, the shorter you go, the, the more sensitive they get to ammo, the more sensitive they get to springs being replaced regularly, the more sensitive they get to the actual cartridge you're firing. Um, that might sound a little bit weird to you, but... As the O-drive of the bullet changes and the sort of nose of the bullet changes, you could be either ending up sort of 
bullet slightly facing up as it comes out the magazine, or you could end up bullet slightly facing down where you're diving into the the feed ramp on some guns uh, on the barrel, other guns you're, you're diving into the frame. But on those guns, if anything causes a hitch during the actual feeding cycle, so the whole gun isn't running smoothly, you're almost guaranteed to have a problem. Where on the longer guns, they take a little bit longer to cycle, even if you're running full-size ammo, because there's a bit of slide, a bit of, uh, of, of slide weight there. There's a longer spring. It's acting over a longer impulse cycle. Um, they're far more likely to feed exotic ammo. Not they will, but they're more likely. So, a couple of things that that Corns mentioned there. That, so, so to kind of to try and picture that 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 length of travel, if you can get your hands on a government model and a commander, um, you can actually see it really easily. Take it, take the gun, lock the slide open, and look in the injection port. And towards the at the back of the mag well, there's some flat metal, and on a, a government model, you'll see a little plunger sticking up, and that's your disconnector. Now, on a government model, when the slides locked back. The, the the breach face will be behind the disconnector. You can actually, if you're lazy like me, lube the disconnector without taking the gun apart. On a commander, the breach face is sort of ahead of or kind of slightly ahead of or, 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 or flush with um, the, the disconnector. Bearing in mind that the dimensions on the back end of the, the frame are identical. So it's not that the, the part is in a different place. It's that's the difference in in, in movement um, on the slide. Uh, Bill Wilson of Wilson Combat, who apparently knows a thing or two about 1911s, um, <laughs> is a big fan of the super tiny little subcompact guns, which is weird. Um, and his advice for the 45 ones is to run 185 or 165 grain ammo in them, as opposed to the classic sort of 230 grain ammo, for exactly that, because it's less mass for the um the mag spring to be fighting against um so it's it's easier to keep up with the slide velocity uh so that's sorry let me see if that's my phone um that's something something to bear in mind with them and and, and on that feed cycle don't picture it as this beautiful straight line you know if you take a lot of modern designs the the the, the, mag, the round sits in the mag and it's kind of facing at the chamber and when the slide strips it off it goes straight into the middle of the chamber. 1911s don't work like that. It kind of involves hitting the top and bouncing off the bottom and doing a little bit of a hokey pokey and eventually getting in there. Um, because 1911. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like sex in a geriatric clinic. <laughs> you know what? I don't judge what turns you on. That's not for me to judge. <laughs> Man, that was a that was a weird segue. Um, <laughs> no, so 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 that's true. Um, so a lot of the feeding for these, not a lot of it, but but some of the feeding characteristics of these is dictated by the shape of the magazine, where the cutout is for the mag release, and where the mag release is in your actual frame. Uh, that can all change how high the magazine sits in the gun, and by extension, how well aligned the top cartridge in your magazine is to the chamber. Now, bear in mind, it sounds like more would be better, so I want it higher. You can get them so high that you're ending up with issues like breaking 
ejectors because you're hitting ejectors with magazines when you're inserting them. And you can end up with issues where you're scraping the top of your magazine along the bottom of your slide, which can cause all sorts of fun issues that you don't want to be dealing with. Um, so yes, it is true that having them higher up is better because they'll feed better up to a very, very fine line where everything just goes to shit. <laughs> and remember, like I said earlier, all these parts are fitted. The magazines might be fairly um, consistent depending on how they're made and where they're made. They might be fairly consistent where like the, the cutout is for the mag release. The frames may or may on your gun may or may not be fairly consistent. But the actual mag releases that also are part of this entire thing are a bit of a shit show. <laughs> and, like you can have two guns that came off the factory line um, next to each other that like completely different magazines because this little part in it is just slightly a different spec and all of a sudden one mag will work and another won't. Um, fun fact. <laughs> but on, on the mag thing, um, and there's been a big move. So, so traditionally a, a, a 45 mag held seven rounds and a 38 super or a, or a nine mil mag held nine. And now for most of the things we use them for, especially if you're competition shooting, um, you're going to want the eight round 45 mag or the 10 round nine mil mag. Um, what I would advise is try and if your approach to magazines is to go, it's how much for a single stack magazine, we'll go back to my initial comment. Don't buy a 1911. Um, they are, they do not work well on the poor, um, but try and get, try and stay away from the flush um, the mags that are, are, are flush, so the same length as a seven-round mag that holds eight. Uh, you know, the, the classic one is the old Wilson 47 Delta, which was the first reliable eight-round magazine, and they were pretty reliable. They just didn't last um, because you had eight rounds in. So Wilson replaced that with the, the ETM mags, um, ETM. and you'll see that if you hold the mags together, the mag body is longer. Um, and, and most of the, the good mag manufacturers are doing something along those lines. Those mags are going to work better and easier for you. Um, for one thing, they're going to seat easier uh, because there's a little bit more space in their top round. And, and it's just, it's an eight round mag. It's not a seven round mag with eight rounds in it or a nine round mag with 10 rounds in it. So um, generally the, the Wilson ETM mags more guns than not will work with those. Um, and those are generally relatively available here. Um, the metal form nine more mags are my favorite nine more mags. Um, the only downside to them is the only way to really unload them is to shoot. Them. <laughs> I mean, you, you can cycle them through the gun or use a tool to get the top couple of rounds out. But once again, if you're used to your Glock mag, you just go punch, 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 my mag's empty. Yeah, that's not how this is going to work. Your 45 mag will work like that. Your 9 more mag won't. Um, but those mags work really, really well. Uh, and then weirdly, I have discovered the original 40, the, the Metgar 9, 9 more mags, which are cheap and easily available, are fantastic 9-round mags that say 10 rounds on the box. Yep. Um, the Metgar 8-round, the current production Metgar 8-round 45 mags, I've had really good results with. Um, in fact, the last Nationals, the only malfunction mag or malfunction I had where a mag wouldn't come out the gun 
was with the Wilson. So I eventually gave up and just ran my mech guys for the rest of the match. Uh, <laughs> um, just if you're buying a 9mm 1911 um, yeah, metal forms and Wilson ETMs, definitely try those. Try them. Don't, don't fucking buy them. Try them. Get a buddy who shoots classic to like, sh- you can shoot some of his mags and, uh, and see which ones actually work. The yeah. Megar mags. Buy T-Sets. twenty of each. Yes, and then I can and buy then them all. Sell me the leftovers cheap. Because <laughs> I can make the guns work with any of them, so <laughs> I'll be fine. Um, um, the Megar mags, though, they can make spectacular mags for other guns, and as T said, for 1911s and 45, um, they genuinely are not ten round mags. I don't mean this as in. Th- they don't work when you have 10 rounds in them. I have some, and I have a lot of those, but I have some that I can't get a 10th round in, and I have others that I can get a 10th round in, but then you need to, just, like, seat it in the gun with a four-pound hammer. <laughs> like, they're yeah, not 10-round I mean, mags. They, 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 they work reliably. Um, they just, yeah, trying to get them in the gun is a, is a yeah. massive challenge. Um, no, it's a Maybe what we should circle back to before we tell people what magazines to buy. Um, and the thing that the, the, the thing that started this 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 sort of or sparked this discussion was um, one of our, our listeners uh, was on a website looking at a variety of 1911s because he wants to make his life more challenging. Um, and he looked he, at he's already left-handed, so you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but he has a Browning high power, so at least he's not going to have a good fucking gun. Um, he, uh, he, he, and he was looking at 1911s and asking for some advice. So he, he, here is sort of my advice, and I don't think Cornelius is going to be particularly different about buying a 1911, um, buying a secondhand 1911. I would suggest, and Corn didn't follow this advice, but I still think it's good advice, that your first 1911 is a 45 government model. Um, a because it's right and b because it's the easiest going to get to work um and c because they're just fucking amazing to shoot like 9911s are super easy to shoot because they have zero recoil 45 1911s are just they're they're right um two world wars fucking hey boomer whatever um <laughs> but that is the, the easiest place to start um if if you're buying this gun because you want to shoot Ipsy Classic, I'm going to advise you buy a nine mil gun because Classic Major, in apparently it's different in USPSA. Uh, in Ipsic, I don't think Classic Major is worth the the capacity loss. When you're running with nine round intervals, it it just it it takes a lot of options away. Um, as I said, people think oh no, the recoil is going to be the challenge. Recoil really isn't. You're not going to shoot the gun probably any slower if you've got decent technique um but you've got a lot fewer options when it comes to reloading and, and, and how you run the stage so i would start with a five inch gun um they're they're a lot easier to make work um they shoot the best uh, and what i would also advise is as a general rule and this is also not a not a cast in stone rule I would be very, very nervous about buying a secondhand gun that's been customized. Um, 
if it's a second-hand gun that was built by Dale Guthrie or Roger Stockbridge or something like that, that's one thing. Um, but there are a lot of second-hand 1911s out there that have had some fucking gunsmithing done to them uh, where you're going to cause yourself a lot of hassles because you may find that because everyone's approach to everything is to throw at the barrels and 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 often that's often the solution to the feeding relies it sits in the extractor not in the in the barrel throating but we want to get the fucking dremel tool out we want to make it shiny and um so you need to be, be be mindful of that sort of thing as a general rule i i would be quite leery about buying a secondhand customized gun that i haven't seen run and not a mag um i years ago bought a got a a, a, a nine eleven from a buddy of mine um and he carried the gun and the first time i tried to shoot his carry gun with his carry ammo and his carry mag it didn't fucking work at all um and he was like oh i never shot that ammo in the gun i wouldn't know um so <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's a different problem for a different day, but please test your carry ever. <laughs> if you're going to buy a gun that's had custom work, um, pay for that ammo. Don't expect the, the, the seller to supply the ammo. But I want to see the thing work. Um, and if you're going to be shooting it with, you know, like round nose stuff is you're going to work easier. But say you've now decided you want to get this as a carry gun, um, if it's been customized, I'm 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 gonna want to shoot it and make sure that it works. Um, and beware, 1911 owner amnesia. It is a dangerous, dangerous thing. I have seen. I'll never forget this. A, a dude quite well known in the gun trade, um, who one week on the internet went on about how his carry 1911 had not had a malfunction in years. And I'm like, dude, I saw you shoot that gun this fucking weekend. And I saw you have like six malfunctions in one mag. And then you get the, oh, no, but. I take it this is not me. No, 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 no. This is... You're about to say, like, I don't fucking recall this at all. Fuck no, you. no, no, it wasn't you. I, if it was you, I would have fucking said your name. Uh, <laughs> so I, I would, I'd be very leery about buying a second-hand customized gun you know there are there are literally wilson trucking guns floating around the country as i say there's dale guthrie guns floating around the country and dale did some and he has a very distinctive look to his gun um you know there's guns roger built that are, are floating around those are all going to be great guns but you what you've also got to be careful of is now dale guthrie built this gun and then cornet fucking Van der Merwe, totally different dude, decided he knew better, got his Dremel tool out and um, throated it some more. Uh, and now it doesn't work. Um, so that would be my advice. I'd, I'd be leery of, of, of what seems like a good deal uh, because this one's had all the work done. Uh, and, and don't be... A commander is going to be more of a challenge. Um, it's not impossible. Uh, you can make, have a very reliable commander. It's going to be more of a challenge. I wouldn't buy an officer's ACP unless I was a collector. Um, to be honest, I probably wouldn't buy a defender unless I was a collector, though I did consider one as a carry gun for a while. Um, but if you're buying it to, to use, I'd get a five-inch gun, um, preferably unmolested. And don't hold your nose at the Norinkos. 
uh, because that was one gun that 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 the, that fucking company got right. Um, they, yeah. they, their 1911s are really really solid base guns, um, and generally sometimes needed a bit of extracted tension work. But generally, if if you took what it was like a World War II Colt, if you if you took that gun out the box, cleaned the fucking ton of cosmoline crap off of it. Um, stuck a, a seven-round mag load with two thirty-round hardball in it, had a bit of oil on the gun, they'd run. Um, the trigger would be seven pounds. The sights would be invisible, kind of like the gun's original spec. Um, but they would generally fire. The cases would come out dinged and, and, and do all sorts of weird shit, which is all the sort of custom shit that, that we deal with, that, that we modify to avoid now. Um, but they would generally work. Uh, and you can get them a lot cheaper. Um, and I've seen weird shit. Guys buying like some kind of crappy brands for more money uh, because oh, I'm not going to buy that Chinese crap. I'm going to buy this AMT because it's stainless steel. <clears throat> um, yeah. And, and then, oh, fuck, this gun doesn't work. Uh, oh, my word, stainless then, guns are harder to make work. Would you believe it? <laughs> and I've, I've seen some some very expensive stainless guns give shit uh, because you've got lots of metal to metal contact. So, yeah, don't, don't, don't. Colts are cool because they're Colts. Um, you know, if, if I had endless money, I would find myself like a 60s commercial government model and, and get a carry gun built on that. Um but you should pay a little bit less for a Series 80 than a Series 70. Um, and to be honest, there's there's a there's a the Series 70s are not the pinnacle of the 1911 like lots of guys think. Uh, those 1960s commercial guns were, um, but they're generally a bit better than the Series 80s when it comes to quality control and like straight lines and the correct roll marks and that sort of thing. Um, but the nice thing with a Colt is the holes are probably drilled in the right right place. And if someone hasn't fucked around with it, um, if you put decent mags and hardball, it'll probably work. Uh, and you can build a you can build a good gun on it. Um, just before I forget, the Colt Double Eagle is not a 1911, and none of this applies to it. You only buy that as a collector because yes. they're shit. <laughs> they're, they're they're cool if you're a collector. Mm. They really are because it's a it's an interesting story, uh, but beyond that, yes, I, I agree. Those are not 1911s, and don't buy them if you want to actually shoot. Um, so that took us down the path of Series 70 versus Series 80, um, and I'm going to just use those designations because to at least two of us, that's going to mean very specific things, even if if the Series 70 bits apply to guns prior to that era. Um, so. Between the Series 70 and the Series 80, there was a change in how the safety mechanism in the gun works, um, sort of. Um, there is an additional plunger in the Series 80's guns that is pushed up when you engage the trigger that pushes a firing pin block out the way. That is not the case in the Series 70 guns and earlier. Um, and this is not a date thing. So this is not 1970's guns and earlier. They're literally called Series 70 guns. You can buy a Series 70 gun that was made, I don't know when they started making the competitions, but like you can buy a Series 70 gun that was made in 2016 
um, oh. and it will work the same as the guns that are Series 70 and pre, but won't work the same as the Series 80 guns. Um, some guys claim to experience differences in the trigger pulls on those. I own both. Um, I haven't noticed anything that bothers me. I'm not saying that there can't be something that, that bothers you. I'm saying I haven't noticed anything. Taking the parts out is relatively simple. Uh, if that's something that you desire, so if you want to go back to to something more of a Series 70 style gun. Uh, but be aware, that that's the primary difference between those is is the plunger that effectively pushes a uh, a firing pin block out the way. There was also the, um, who was that guy that made the alternative to the uh, firing pin block? The Schwartz. The Schwartz, yes. Yeah. Uh, those are kind of rare. I don't think I've ever seen one in person. Um Similar concept works entirely different. Next time you're at MRST. I don't know. I, um, I'm sure that I can get access to one to look at. I just, I don't think that I've seen one. So, so Kim, Kimby used a variation of the short, so the, the, and Lama, sorry, sorry, Yama uh, used the variation yes, you mean, of it. You mean that Lama? Yama. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so the firing pin safety, yeah. So on the, on the Series 80 guns, when you pull the trigger, it pushes the plunger up. On the on the short guns, when you push the grip safety in, it disengages the um, the firing pin safety. So, the theoretical advantage there is it doesn't affect the trigger pull. And I, I think the big issue is when guys are trying to run two pound triggers. Um, that's going to be harder with with the series eighty. But uh, so Colt messed around with the short safety in the 30s, and, and there's some national matches, including one very sexy one I've got to play with here, uh, that have uh, have the the shorts. Um, and then, as I say, uh, Kimber built it in their Series 2 guns and, and Yama, and I'm sure someone else did. Uh, fun, fun nerdy, because I'm a nerd fact, um, the Series 70 designation has become in common vernacular to mean a gun without a firing pin safety. Obviously, when, when they started building the Series 70 guns, which was about 71, 72, mm -hmm. um, it had nothing to do with that because obviously the guns didn't have firing pin safeties and had to do with the movie going from a solid barrel bushing to a collet barrel bushing with four fingers. Um, so there's theoretically no such thing as a Series 70 commander. Uh, <laughs> I am a barrel bushing now. Uh, so they went with this collet system, which is apparently the theory would be that it would be tighter and make the gun more accurate. It wasn't really. Um, the big challenge with them is every so often one of those fingers could break off and jam your gun up solid. Uh, so you'll see a lot of original Series 70 guns that don't have collet bushings. And then the current production Series 70 guns that they call Series 70 aren't actually Series 70 guns because they don't have collet bushings. Because they don't have <laughs> <laughs> if you're understanding once again why we said just don't get a 1911 uh <laughs> they're really simple they really work uh, if you understand these five million things that make no sense <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to learn all these useless facts uh, <laughs> so and most of the custom guns now are sort of so-called Series 70 guns. So like Wilson guns are built without firing pin safeties. And the idea with the firing pin safety, just like it is in a more modern design, it's to make the gun drop safe. Um, not that the guns are in are, are generally that problematic. I mean, non-firing pin safety guns have passed the California testing and all of that. Um, if you're going to carry a 
a, a, a non-firing pin safety 1911, um, what I do suggest you do at the very least is put one of those Wolf Extra Power firing pin springs in it and replace that on the rig. Um, the good news is they're more likely to go off if you drop them and they land on their muzzle than on their hammer. So if you do drop them, they're more likely to go off into the ground. Uh, so it's a safety feature. Yep. It's um, no problem. It's a feature. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I would, you know, there, there are, there are more, there, there are a, a reasonable amount of unmolested Series 70 and Series 80 guns floating around there. Um, and that's a really good start, start to, a, to a working gun. Um, I wouldn't buy a World War II gun as a, as a working gun. Um, and there's fewer and fewer of those unmolested around. So if you find one, um, don't now decide to put bigger sights and a beaver tail on it. Uh, and what's even worse than that is when you find a 1911, not 1911A1, a 1911. So it's a gun built. Um, when did they do that? Was it 1923 or 27? I think it was 23. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so they made a few changes based on the experiences in World War II. Um, they shortened the trigger. They gave it an orange mainspring housing. They put cutouts in the frame. Uh, and and one of one of my saddest 1911. 24, Sorry? 1924. Oh, shit. Okay. We're both wrong. Um, well, I was wrong twice, rather. Uh, <laughs> one of my, my saddest recollections working in a public shooting range was a dude who pitched up one day with a, a 1911, not an A1, a 1911, a civilian serial number 1911 that was beautiful, that he'd put a lovely set of dovetail high visibility sights on. What you'd taken is a gun with kind of shitty 100-year-old metallurgy um, and ruined its sort of historical uh, value by and just made an abomination. Um, the only one I know worse of that was a guy who was telling me about he wanted to replace his 1911, um, that his grandfather had one of a fucking World War One pilot sort of thing. So I started listening and he was he was struggling to get ammo for it. So I'm really getting excited now because it, it was the 455 self-loading, the British cartridge. Nice. Um, super. I'm like, fuck, dude, like I'll give you, at the time I was carrying Glock 23, I'm like, I'll give you my Glock 23. Uh, and he was like, yeah, you must see it. It's awesome. I just had my gunsmith chrome it. Um <laughs> If you have a gun, an older gun like that, that's unmolested, sell it to someone who's a collector and buy yourself a modern using gun. One day that's probably going to apply to Series 70s and that, but they're newer, they're not as, they, they don't, you know, they're, 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 there's a word I'm looking for and I can't think of it. Um, I'm sure it'll, it'll come to me. Um, but they're not as historically significant. That That is a good place to start, um, sort of if you want to custom build. Or you can get the current production guns, which generally work with not too much tweaking, unless you mean, um, you know, there's, there's some cold floating around. As, as I say, the Narenko is a, a good place. Jokes aside, is a good place to start. Um, I'm hearing some good things about some of the Turkish guns. I've got no experience with any of them, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, I don't. Um, you know, I, Springfield. I risk it, but I mean, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. As I say, this is what I've heard. I have no experience. So if, if you if you do it, report back. Um, <laughs> if it doesn't work, well, 
That was your fault. We 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 do have a friend who who used to have a USAS that uh, got refinished and had some work done. Yeah, we used to have a friend. You mean? Mm, he's still a friend. I mean, I didn't realize it got refinished. He used to be a friend. <laughs> yeah, it got refinished when he when he when he sold it. He he traded it in on a PO seven. He got a PO seven. Yeah, and then it got got refinished um, and sold. (laughs) That is sad. Um, Union Switch and Signal, if you guys want to go and Google those. Um. (laughs) So, I mean, currently, trying to think what, what, if if you wanted to buy a current production gun, um, there might be uh, one or two Colts floating around. Safari might bring in some of the Springfields and and, and Springfield, that, that would be a good place to start. Um, they're not going to be super cheap, uh, but they're probably going to work or work with without too much. And, and, and bear that in mind, whatever you buy, if it doesn't work out the box, don't cry. Um, you bought 911. Uh, but the Springfields, I am told that they've got, I think they've got some emissaries and, and, and various sort of guns coming in. That'll be a good place to look because they're building a, a really solid gun. Hailstorm um, do occasionally bring in Wilsons for guys and, and I'm sure can on order. And those things are going to cost you a fortune and are spectacular. I was looking at one the other day and thinking, maybe I just sell everything and buy this. Uh, <laughs> I've, um, I've had those thoughts too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so other things that are possibly available but maybe not currently available is the um bull bull make mm. decent guns um so those, are those. those are those are good um smith and wesson e-series um jokes aside really well built guns you're gonna pay you're gonna pay money for those but uh smith and wesson e-series there's some floating around and on that if, if you're gonna buy smith and wesson 1911 for using you want the e-series so the difference is so the, the Smith & Wesson is an external extractor, which is generally a fuck-up on a 1911. Um, in theory, it should be better, but it's not. Um, and most of them are too narrow and sit too high. So if you look at a non-E-series Smith, you'll see on the right side of the slide that the extractor is really, really high. The E-series has got a big, fat extractor. I don't know why I'm holding my, my hands because oh, it's quite close to the microphone. But I can um, see you. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> they sit lower. So if you're going to get the Smith and the Smiths are, are, are solid, um, you, you want the you want the E-series. You, you don't want the original Smiths. Um, I think some of the performance centers had it as well, but you want the E-series style extractor. So the big fat. Yeah, definitely the big fat uh, extractor. Um, <laughs> there's some SIG guns floating around. Um, I wouldn't particularly buy one of those. Uh, they seem all right. Um, they're also external extractors. Yep. Uh, That's the primary reason why I would. The, the, the big challenge with an external extractor 1911, well, there's two. The one is that they're often the wrong place. The other thing to bear in mind with them, it's a bit like piston AOS, which everyone thinks is better and generally isn't. Um, and one of the challenges with them is there's no universal standard for what that part is. So if you break your E-series extractor, you can't buy a SIG one and put it in your gun um, and vice versa. Uh, so 
That's something to bear in mind. You know, if, if you've got a, a standard internal extractor gun, that part is going to require fitting because it's a 911 and everything requires fitting. Um, but you will be able to fit one and make the gun work. Um, no, 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 no. Someone will be able to fit one and make the gun work. <laughs> yeah. You probably won't be able to. Not, not, I'm not talking I mean, about Terex. <laughs> not talking about Terex specifically here. I'm talking about you, Mr. Listener, who's now going, oh, so I can fit one myself. No, you probably can't. <laughs> I mean, I have I have made a reasonable amount of 1911s work um, by fucking around with their extractors. Uh, when guys pitch up and go, oh, I've put this awesome Wilson extractor in my gun, and now it doesn't work. So, did you? How did? You, so, how, how did you tension it? Oh, I just dropped it in, and then like you go look away while you're like bending bits in their gun, and you know, yeah, it's, it's very scientific. Um, why why are you using that extractor channel to bend that piece of metal that just pulled out of there? Shh, science. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I am in non-45 guns. I'm a massive FTEC extractor fan. Um I've had some guns that would not work until I put an FTEC in them, and then they worked. Uh so those also require some fitting and 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 they have their their own special magic but it's something to go 45 is generally not necessary but in the nine more guns and the 40 guns my my first sti or my sti um i fucking we tried everything we could not get that gun to work different mags different <laughs> every so often we have a malfunction stuck an aftic in it and until Kune did something's wrong with it it would even feed factory hollow points It'll still feed. Is it? I don't know. I thought you butchered it. Something was it when you refinished it off? I put such a pretty blue on it for you. Well, I, I, I replaced the uh, FTEC in it because the one that was in it was kind of fucked um, from being shot, which is a good thing. Um, but that, that I think was it. Oh. I don't think I've changed anything else in that gun. And I, I, I don't think I've changed anything else in that gun. And bear in mind, everything we've said about 1911s, 2011s are slightly harder to make work. <laughs> Mostly because the magazines are worse, if you can believe yeah. that. <laughs> they are worse. <laughs> so, okay, so now that we've spoken about um, some some things that, that, that are really hard to comprehend, um, I'm going to give you a little bit more feed or, or a little bit more information on the extractors. Um, the traditional ones that, that are internal extractors, so the, the original design, are a spring steel. They're inside the slide, and you need to tension them literally by bending them to the point where you get sufficient tension on them that they will extract the case from the chamber under massive acceleration. So when you're shooting this gun, that's massive acceleration. They need to grip onto that case room and extract. But... It's not that simple. They also need to be loose enough that the gun will actually feed. So um, I, I don't really know how, how all sorts of other guns extractors work, but I know how the 911 ones work. Um, it's basically like, a, as I understand it, like a push feed on, on a, a rifle. Well, I like control, control, feed. control feed on a rifle. So as the, the round comes out of the magazine, it needs to slip under the extractor and then it basically gets guided into the chamber while the extractor is engaged. If you fuck up any of those things, you can have rounds that end up in front of the extractor and then the extractor slams over them, which may or may not work. 
you'll eventually break the extractor, but it may or may not work. Um, you can have all sorts of other fun things with like rounds popping out of magazines and causing stovepipes on live rounds, which can be fun. Uh, there's there's all sorts of weird shit that happens if the extractors are not properly tensioned. But again, if there's too much tension, the gun will not work. If there's too little tension, the gun will not work. And, and what's fantastic is you have a massive about half a kilogram range yes. <laughs> of tension. It's, to, to put that in perspective, when I said you have to bend them to get the right tension, I mean bending them to the point where they don't work and bending them to the point where they do work look no different. <laughs> like you yeah. can't tell when you look at them. <laughs> Pretty much. It's, 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 a, it's black magic. Um, there are ways to make those work a little bit more reliably. Uh, for traditional extractors, um, there's there's some shaping and stuff you can do with files and things that make them really work. Um, I do that on my guns. Um, and fun fact, I'm going to tell you what an Aftec is in the moment, but T's Aftec that made his commander work um, didn't make his commander work. Um, the Aftec really helped, but shaping the, the claw and things on that extractor fixed it in the end. Um, so... That's again, that's that sort of gunsmith level skill and understanding how the gun works and how it feeds. Um, not something you're going to do yourself on day one. So find a competent gunsmith to help you there. The difference between the traditional extractor, so the spring steel that you bend, and the Aftec is the Aftec is more of a tool steel. It's a, it's a harder thing that doesn't really want to bend. And then there is two springs that you can choose whether you use both or one or the other um, that basically tension it into the round um, so that it can extract. Those are very cool, can be super, super reliable if you fit them correctly, uh, but they need they also need fitting. So you have to do some work on the on the uh, extractor claw. The documentation is going to say that if you do anything to them that you void your warranty, ignore that shit, it'll never work if you don't. And you've got to shape the firing pin stop on the gun. So if you ever get one of these figure out firing pin stoppers, but there needs to be some... The firing pin stop can't fit the Aftec as tightly as you would want it to fit a traditional extractor. It needs to be able to pivot using those two springs. If it can't pivot, it will not fucking work. So, get 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 a good gunsmith when you buy the gun. Yes, that's that's basically what this comes down to: is get a good gunsmith when you buy the gun. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's quickly talk about like the the ten eight extractor test, T, so that if guys want to. They're looking at buying guns and they want to see if they actually are not functional, but are reasonably functional. And tell them. The 10-8 extractor test, is a, it's a fantastic way to, to check, um, check that the gun is, is working as designed because what can happen if you don't have correct extractor tension is that the, the rounds can bounce off the top round in the magazine um, as opposed to being sort of controlled by the extractor bouncing off the ejector and how, how you often start discovering there's an issue there is with the last round in the mag um, you can start having some weird malfunctions so really good test and and it it, it it it's pretty simple is take the gun with the mag stick the mag in the gun obviously on the shooting range um, cycle around in the chamber remove the magazine from the gun and fire the round and the gun, the, the case should come out the ejection port and not one of two things will happen if you extract the tendons out. It'll either drop straight through the magwell, which is bad, um, or it won't get out in time and the slide will close on it, which is also bad. So what you want with that is the, the extract tension, if it's correct, 
will control that round out and, and without the, the mag being in the gun, will we'll throw the, 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 the empty case out the ejection port. And you want to do that for sort of a full mag. So one at a time, mag in, cycle it, mag out, fire the shot, mag in, cycle it, mag out, fire the shot. Uh, because I've seen it where it'll work for a round or two and then it doesn't work at all. Um, so that's a, that's a good little test if you've messed around with an extractor or if you've got a gun um, and, and you want to check how that's working. And jokes aside, the, the extractor plays a much bigger role in sort of how the gun works than most people give it credit for. Yep. It's the, other than mags, it's the single biggest thing that I see issues with. Uh, I mean, I might see issues with it more often than I see issues with mags, but mags might be, might be tied. Uh, but between those two things, you're you're almost certainly going to find the issue if your your gun isn't running. Now there are far more nuanced things. Things like guys have the wrong spring rates in them, so the gun won't run because it has some weird fucking spring recoil spring in it that just is not conducive to making the gun run with the ammo that you're using. Uh, I've seen guns with springs that are too long, uh, so recoil springs that are too long. Uh, the gun will basically stick the spring into spring bind and you won't get full cycling of the slide. Now, refer back to earlier in the show when we are talking about like officer model guns that have a shorter stroke and are more likely to malfunction. Um, if you run your full-size gun into spring bind, it's cycling less, and it might be cycling as little as like, a, like, a, like an officer model, and you run into the exact same problems. Um, There's also weird things with like different shape um, firing pin retainer plates can affect so we're not going to go into that because that just gets a bit like super nerdy and super weird but um there's suffice to say there, there are a lot of things happening in how that gun works um it's not just a case of you know i'm i'm going to put a new one of these in because it looks nice or it's a nice color or whatever any part you change could affect so you would think that a firing pin retainer plate is a firing retainer plate. Um, you would think wrong. Uh, and the, the the changing that part out can have an effect on, on how the entire sort of machine cycles. Uh, and something Corn has pointed out to some of our friends on the rig is don't expect anything, including grips on a 1911, to be dropping. Yep. Um, if a part drops in, well, you're 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 lucky. But expect any part you 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 have you replace on the gun to require fitting, um, and that's one of the challenges with the design is that it's not a case of a quick easy um, oh shit there's a problem with this hammer let me drop another hammer in, um, nope. you, or, or, or I want to change out the sear or whatever whatever you change it it. It, it, it's part of a sort of an ecosystem. Um, so a safety that's designed that, that, that has been modified to work on corn's gun. If I put it in my gun, because oh, I want to try the safety out may not allow the gun to fire um, or may not work as the safety. Uh, so it's, it's not, it, it's not just a plug and play sort of system. Um, so that, that's something to bear in mind with them talking about safeties as well. Uh, there's all sorts of, and if you're left-handed, you're going to want to run an ambi safety. Bear in mind that some of those are better than others, um, yeah. and those also come with with their challenges. 
uh, and and a greater chance of of failure with a lot of them than with a standard sort of single sided safety. So to give you guys an idea, there I'm going to come back to safety in a moment. If you want to change the hammer in your 1911, uh, just off the top of my head, if you change the hammer, you're changing potentially the sear and potentially the disconnector. If you're changing those, you're almost certainly needing to do refitting of the safety or replacing it, the thumb safety. Um, and, and that's just, I want to I want to change to this hammer that looks cool. Okay, well, now you're four parts deep into this thing. Changing the hammer, um, the firing pin stop that, that, that T was talking about earlier, that interfaces directly with the hammer. Um, if you're changing the hammer, you may need to change that. So we're now into five parts that we're changing because we want a new hammer. Um, to give you guys an even better idea, if you change the trigger on your 1911, I don't mean the, the functional trigger components, I mean literally the, the trigger that your finger interfaces with and the bow connected to that. Um, that affects in these guns, at the very least, um, your hammer sear engagement and um, your leaf spring at the back that applies tension to those. It almost certainly affects the uh, grip safety, which may or may not work now, as in it might not be a grip safety anymore, which is not a big problem, or it may not allow you to fire the gun at all. Um, if that trigger that you fitted has an over-travel stop, depending on how you set the over-travel stop, you could have the, the, uh, the sear not get out of the way of the hammer sufficiently that you're literally chipping your fancy new hammer sear every time you pull the trigger um, and they last a couple hundred rounds. Um, further to that, because the trigger bow runs around the magazine and has to fit the frame of the gun, um, you may have a bow that doesn't fit the gun, so you have a trigger that's now worse because it can't move freely. You may have interference to the point where you can't insert a magazine into your gun anymore because you changed the trigger. So <laughs> that's just off the top of my head and that's just some of the things that go wrong. Like, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> there is more um so that's a fun ride um it, again if you if you don't understand how these work i would not I, I personally wouldn't touch um safeties or hammer sear disco um i would i would highly recommend that those things get uh expert gunsmith attention um, and, and make sure your gunsmith knows the 1911 oh yes um, because I've seen gunsmiths trash them um, doing weird things uh, because they they kind of assume that they know how the thing works and it is a it is a slightly different design um, exactly. or a dramatically different design. So why the fuck do we own these things? After all this, why would you own this and not just buy a brand X plastic people popper? because they are delightful to shoot when they work. Um, they they really, truly do have the best triggers. Um, and as T said earlier, a bad 1911 trigger is probably still better than a good trigger on almost any other gun. Um, they, they really are that good. Um, single action only, so the trigger pull is always consistent. Um, so it, it's consistently good. It's not so much that I care about it being consistent. I don't mind double action, uh, single action guns at all but this is you're getting that same awesome trigger every single time. And the other thing that I really, really like about them is how much you can change on them. We just spoke about how much of a ball like it is to change them. 
but between T and I, we might run different size grips, um, actual grip scales. So T might want the gun a little bit fatter. I might want the gun a little bit skinnier. Um, we might run, I might run a flat mainspring housing. T might run an arched, which changes again the grip size, but it also changes sort of how the gun points. I might run a completely different beaver tail or, or grip safety on my gun than T runs because it fits my hand to the point where I can I can have a more natural point of aim on the gun. Safeties, thumb safeties. Um, you can do so much with those, uh, not just in, in how they, they sort of engage and disengage and how much tension you want in that, but also the way that they're shaped. Because a, 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 grip, a, a thumb safety that is shaped perfectly for the way that I grew up 1911s might not work for T at all. He might run into a problem where he can't engage or disengage them, or he might run into a problem where uh, it's engaging when he's firing the gun, or it might dig into his hand when he's shooting it. All that stuff can be changed. Um, and then the, the last thing that, that I personally really like about them is how tunable they are. So if you know how to tune the mainspring and the recoil spring and the firing pin stop to the ammo that you're shooting, you can set these guns up to shoot basically any power ammunition in a way that you would never believe that the stuff chrono at the speed that, that it chronos at when you shoot these guns, if they're properly set up. And all that stuff is highly tunable, but you need to know what you're doing. Otherwise, you'll you'll ruin the gun because you'll wear parts out and you'll break stuff way prematurely or you'll have a gun that, that doesn't work. But I, I really like that about them, and that's that's the draw for me. I mean, the, the, the trigger, I, I think the, the, the trigger is, is probably the biggest reason why the 1911 has, has, has kind of maintained. Um, you know, what are we, 113, 111 years later? Um, and it's not just because it's light, because you can, you can buy Shadow 2 and have a very light trigger. Um, yep. it, it's, the, it's the characteristics of that trigger as well. Um, it's a... So the 911 trigger is a straight back. It doesn't pivot. It doesn't. So most triggers pivot at the top, um, whereas the 911 trigger pulls straight back, and it it's substantially more forgiving. Um, you can you can get away with with a lot more um, sort of weakness in your technique. Though by the same token, if you, if you do have a good technique, um, you you can get plenty out of it as well. Um, so I think that the trigger is the big, the, the big thing. Yeah, that, that the, the fact that you can adjust it. So you know, when people ask me what 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 gun do I reckon that you know they've got a, a kid who wants to get into EPSIC, um, what gun do I recommend they get for them? I for you said get them a nine or nineteen eleven because you can put a short trigger in it, a flat mainspring housing, and a slim set of grips, and you have a slim gun that will fit almost any you know almost any hand of someone who's going to be able to to play the game um and then as they grow uh, you know you you can you can change all of those bits and you can have a gun that fits a gigantic man hand um there's, there's also a completely unscientific um completely subjective thing to how they shoot and they do shoot different to other guns um, they just, they're, they're nice guns to shoot. Uh, there is a, it's, it's an elegant weapon from a, a more civilized time. More civilized time. Uh, <laughs> that um, the truth? 
you know, would I recommend that you get one as a carry gun today? No. Uh, that's not to say it's not a good carry gun. Um, but if you're asking me for recommendations, you probably shouldn't be carrying a 911. Um, as I say, I generally tell guys, don't get into them unless you're willing to get into you're going to follow that rabbit hole um it's it it's not a you're not going to get you're not going to get a hell of a lot out of it if you have sort of a casual relationship and have a 1911 and it's just another gun um if if you're going to kind of learn the gun spend some time with a gun um you you will have a thing of beauty um you'll have you'll have a gun that's just really really amazing to shoot um and and even if it's an Arinko, even if you buy yourself an Arinko, you can build a gun that 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 has massive pride of ownership, and and that's the thing with it. It, it it's all about ex, except for the trigger. I think everything else is subjective. Um, you know, the safety is perfectly placed, uh, and and it's the safety everything else is compared to. The trigger is the thing everything else is compared to. The grip shape is just fucking space magic because John Moses Brown. Uh, um, but jokes aside, objectively, the trigger is, is the one thing. Everything else is subjective. Uh, so if you're looking for pure practicality, if, you, if you're one of those, the gun is the tool, probably not the gun for you. Uh, if, you if, if you're not willing to learn the gun, if you're not willing to understand that the... It, <laughs> Everything in the books may say that this is the best fucking magazine money can buy, and your gun goes fuck you. I won't do what, I, what you tell me. Um, if you can't live with that, that's not it. If jokes aside, if you're not willing to deal with a gun that may not work with every type of ammunition in that factory ammunition in that caliber that money can buy, it's probably not the gun you're going to buy. You, you're going to deal with. If, you know, a 45. I'm not going to shoot a lot of plus P in a 45 1911 um, because it's probably going to break um i'm not going to try and shoot stuff with gigantic wide hollow points in it uh because it's less likely to work as reliably um, that's not to say that it won't um but you, you're adding more of a challenge there um so you've got to be willing to make you've got to be willing to make sort of compromises i would say it's a little bit like buying like a 60s muscle car except for one thing with those, you get great joy, you get pride, they're beautiful, they're awesome, and they're probably going to be slower than the Polo GTI. Um, what a 911 does give you is once you've got it set up right, it will outshoot any other gun you own. Um, and, and, and that, if, if, if someone shoots another gun as well as they shoot a 1911 or, 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 or at that sort of level, it's an anomaly. You go on about, oh, that dude can shoot or whatever. Um, but is it, there's, very, there's, a, there's a good chance that while you might shoot a CZ better than I shoot a 1911, you probably won't shoot a CZ better than you shoot a 1911. Um, and and that's, the, that's why you put up with it. Because they do, it's kind of weird and it's, 
it's sort of oxymoronic, but you have this thing with a whole lot of weird subjective stuff and not a huge amount of objective advantage, but somehow that combines in such a way that you get this massive objective advantage that the gun just shoots better than everything else. Absolutely. I love them. Um, I, I've never hidden this fact. These are the guns that I like shooting the most. I carry one. Um, I wholeheartedly approve of dealing with all the shit that they come with. Um, I'm not recommending that anyone else does that, but I, I am completely pro that. Um, now talking about the shit that they come with, um, bear in mind, if you're going to shoot these, um, you will need to keep them lubed. I don't care what the internet says about dry guns work better and doesn't attract dust and they will not fucking work. Keep them wet. They need to be lubed. Um, if you're running oil, and I personally like running oil, but if you're running oil, um, you want something that's, in our climate at least, you want something that's a little bit thicker. Uh, you want something that won't cook off when you shoot it. And even with that, you're still going to be lubing the gun every 500 rounds um, or perhaps once a month. Um, yeah, T's putting his face, but uh, that is, realistically, that's, that's where you're going to be if you want the gun to work consistently. People will tell you that they have to be kept spotlessly clean. That's bullshit. Mine are as filthy as any of my other guns. Um, but they're always wet. I clean mine when they stop working, which I found in the Commander is about the two and a half to 3,000 round mark. And in the full-size guns, about 5,000 rounds. But they stop working um, reliably because they get too dirty. There's all sorts of like gunk and shit happening and the gun no longer, it's not that it doesn't work anymore, it's that it doesn't cycle freely anymore. And as we said, if you mess with the cycle, the cycling of these guns in any way, you get the timing slightly out, they stop working. So that's the point where I, I have to clean them. I try and clean them just before that. But uh, I, I have been known to shoot them at the point where they stop working. So <laughs> um, quickly talk about sort of, um, so, so maintenance, as I was saying, you will need to keep them lubed. Um, you will need to keep on top of recoil spring replacement, even in full-size guns. Now, you don't need to do it nearly as often full-size guns, but you will need to keep on top of that. You need to keep on top of your magazines. Um, they need to be, they don't have to be fucking spotless, because mine aren't, and like some of my Wilson mags have been shot a lot. Uh, they're not spotless, but you need to keep them sort of um, debris-free, right? They don't have to be, dust free but if there's anything in there that is that is um big enough for it to be chunky or crunchy when you, you depress the follower that's going to cause you problems um you need to keep on top of ammo uh they do need to be typically a little bit longer than the the, the spec is for that particular cartridge and if you're we don't oh, mean except for 45 because 911s are the spec Except for 45, yes. <laughs> uh, but for everything else, the, it, they'll typically be a little bit longer. If you're cycling rounds in and out of your guns and they're getting shorter, um, that round that, and we don't recommend you do this, please keep on top of replacing your ammo. But eventually that round will get short enough that you could probably still shoot that out of almost every other gun you own, but it won't run in your 1911. It'll just fucking nosedive and, and won't actually get into the chamber. Um, so... And then the last thing, if you want the sweet triggers, and when I say sweet triggers, I'm talking like two pounds and fucking less for some guys, uh, you're going to shoot out hammers, sears, and discos, disconnectors. Um, I don't want to say frequently, but they're not going to last very long. Um, 
if you're if you're okay with a three and a half, four pound, four and a half pound trigger, um, they last a lot longer. If you're okay with a five pound trigger, which honestly, lightning lemons is not a problem. That thing will fucking last a very long time. Same thing with um, not not necessarily on um, the alley framed guns, but if you're talking steel framed gun, uh, steel slide, hold on, but steel frame, steel slide, um, and you keep on top of springs you're going to be hard-pressed to break those. Um, they're going to last fucking forever. You'll probably shoot the barrel out before you end up cracking a frame. Um, not saying it's necessarily true, but, like, uh, they'll last a long time. What is also awesome with them is there are a few spots where they crack, um, and then they've uh, stress-relieved themselves. Uh, so if you look at, a, at an earlier gun on the, on the slide rail on the left-hand side above the, the slide stop, uh, you'll see that it was a continuous line on, on a lot of the current production guns. There's a gap there. Uh, and that's because that used to crack. Uh, and that didn't matter. Once it cracked, it was now stress relief and it would work fine. But owners would complain that there was something wrong, my gun was broken. So it was just easier to cut that bit out. Uh, so I, I have seen 1911s with massive, but I'm talking probably three or four more cracks on both sides of the dust cover. Um, and they just, yeah, that 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 they will, they have the 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 capability of outlasting most things. Um, that's not to say the small parts will outlast everything. Um, oh yeah, you, you need to do the maintenance stuff. I think the U.S. military bought their last 1911s in 1945. Um, they officially started the changeover to the M9 in 1985. Um, and there are probably still a few 1911s floating around. <laughs> that still fucking work. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, a, it, it's a different... It's, it's a different thing from a different time. Uh, but they are freaking cool. They really are. Last thing I want to touch on, then, Tia, I'm not sure if there's anything else you want to touch on, um, is the joke used to be over here, at least, that they're a 1,000 Rand gun. Um, I think with the latest exchange rates and, and sort of things, the jokes would probably be there are 2,000 rand gun. Um, but effectively, if you ask how much is a magazine, I'm going to use 2,000 as the base right now, but it's 2,000 rand. If you ask how much is a firing pin, it's 2,000 rand. How much is a firing pin stop? It's 2,000 rand. How much is a fucking whatever you need to... How much is a, a Brickle Spring Plunger? It's 2,000 rand, right? That, that's just, these guns are not for, I don't want to say not for poors because that's not the right terminology, but this is like, you don't buy, <laughs> you don't buy a, I don't know, a 1980s Ferrari and drive it to work every day and back if you can't afford the outrageous maintenance that's going to be required and the cost of parts that are not necessarily rare, but certainly sought after and being made at a smaller volume in general than like parts for newer guns that require fitting and, and labor to put the stuff in. Um, so just, just be aware of that. If you do get into them, you do get into them kind of seriously. Um, they, they're a little bit like a boat and as I said, 1980s Ferraris, they're, 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 a, they're a money pit. Um, well, they can be, they can be, I don't want to say they are, but they can be. I, I think they are like like many sort of high performance things. Um, you know, you 
you buy a Hilux not because it's the pinnacle of anything except sort of reliability. Um, you don't buy a Hilux for its razor sharp handling or its spectacular comfort or its incredible performance. Um, you buy it because it's strong, like a motherfucker. Um, when you're buying a 1911, you're, you're buying a not, not even an 80s Ferrari, you're buying a current Ferrari. Um, if you buy a really high-end one. The fact is you have a tool that is capable of amazing things, um, but if you run the tires too long, it's going to be a thing that falls off the road. Uh, and, and that's the thing with them. The, 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 there's no free lunch. Um, as, a, as a defensive pistol, will it do anything for you that a plastic beeper popper won't? Probably not. Like real world... Um, th th there's probably not a single defensive encounter you're going to survive because you had the greater shootability of a 1911 as opposed to whatever plastic people pop or you pop in. Um, that's not to say that it's not a great carry gun, um, but you're not you're not carrying it because it's objectively better or objectively going to make a massive difference. Um, as a competition gun. Yeah, for a lot of shooters, it is going to, um, you know, there's a reason most open guns are 1911-based. Most standard guns are 1911-based. Um, classic, we, we have a proper division where we don't allow anything that's not a 1911. Um, <laughs> and a proper 1911. None of those two fucking piece frames. And... No, in fact, no. <laughs> must be a proper. And, and, and jokes aside, you know, guys joke about 1911 reliability. Um in a classic squad, which is all 1911s, most of those guns are running. Uh, you know, it's guys, the guns that give shit, either the guys um, stop shooting that gun uh, or, or they learn how to make it work. And, and it is, it's, it's a gun where you're going to have to be your own pit crew. Um, it, it's a gun where I'm not going to suggest that you do your own massive gunsmithing, but it's going to help for you to know how this machine works how an extractor goes in, um, you know, because that's a part that can fail. Um, it's probably one of the few guns where I'm going to suggest it's probably a good idea to know how to take the whole, the detail strip of the thing. Um, yep. Which is actually pretty fucking simple. That, that is the weird thing with it. So I, if, if, when I was shooting a shadow, if that needed a trigger spring, I would go to someone who was an adult and say, can you help me change my trigger spring, please? Um, because detail stripping, that's just a freaking nightmare. The 1911 is about the only gun easier to detail strip than 1911 is a Glock. Um, they're actually, and all the tools to take it apart are in the gun. Yep. <laughs> because John Moses Browning was a genius. Um so yeah, I think if if you if you want to sort of jump in the rabbit hole, um, jokes aside, it's not something you're going to do on the cheap. So what you need to look and and as Corn said, it, it doesn't mean that you have to be made out of money, um, but start with a decent base kit. That that I think is the most important. I would I'd rather go buy a stock Series Seventy freaking Colt or or, or, or even a Narinco and deal with the fact that there's tiny little sites and that and and until i can afford to to sort of upgrade all of that so, and jokes are my 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 gold cup was like a 20-year project um but 
I'd rather do that than, than, than buy something on the cheap that's going to end up frustrating you and may never work properly uh, because someone, or, or, or without you having to replace like a licensed part. Yeah, j- just to hop in there for a moment. So let's for one moment ignore replacing licensed parts, which is an even bigger ball like over here. Um, if you have to cut the slide to fit different sites because you don't like those uh, th- those tiny little sites, you can call MRST and they will be able to tell you what it's going to cost you to fit those. Here's the price. This is what it's going to cost to fit those. If you show up with a non-functional 1911 that doesn't have an obvious problem, so not this is not obviously extract tension or this is not obviously a mag problem, okay? We just told you it's a 2,000 rand gun. And we just told you how many things interplay. This gun doesn't work, okay? Is it the trigger? Yeah, it might be. So let's replace trigger and trigger bow. So now we're into doing work on the grip safety. Um, we may need to do work on the hammer sear disconnector. Okay, but let's replace those because it's not working. There's something wrong there. Um, okay, do the extractor, do the ejector, um, do the sort of guide rod, okay, do a barrel bushing, do a spring plug, do a a firing pin stop. You're in probably more in just parts than you paid for the gun. Not talking about the gunsmith time, the ammo and the tasting stuff. You're into individual little pieces of things that may or may not work together. So you, you might end up with a gun that's as broken as it was before once you've replaced all that stuff uh, because you find out that G the hole for the um, slide stop on this gun is drilled in slightly the wrong place. And as a result, the barrel link can't ever work and this gun will just never be reliable. But now you've replaced an entire gun to find out that your frame is not up to the spec yeah. and you cannot fix it without replacing it, um, <laughs> which is, yeah. So don't, 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 don't go cheap. As T said, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to like pay a house's worth of money for the gun. But don't buy it because it looks good and it's cheap. Um, buy it because it runs and then figure out the other stuff. Because all the other stuff can be changed. Like I said, if you need to play change can, uh, mainspring housing because you want a different shape, size, etc. You want to change grips. You want to All that stuff can be changed down the road. But if you start with a functional gun and you change one thing and that gun stops working, at least you can go, it was this one thing and change it back or find a different part that fits. Um, but... Uh, for for my money, if I was looking to buy myself a 1911 to get in on this without spending a fortune, first prize would be an unmodified Colt. Uh, second prize would, in South Africa, I'm not saying, I, I appreciate in other countries that there's a lot more Springfields and shit around here. There are more Colts around than there are most other brands. Um, I would try and find an unmodified Colt or I'd try and find an unmodified Narenko. Um, and that would be the basis of where I would start. Uh, obviously, if you if you're not, you know, if you're if you're not um sort of super worried about sort of cost of entry, yeah, as Cornet said, the the bulls, there's a whole lot of other guns. And and if you're completely not worried about cost of entry, go to MRS, uh, go to Hailstorm and say, hello, I'd like a Wilson Combat, please. Um but if if I if I was looking for a base gun that was going to be part of a project where I I had 
10 or 12 grand to maybe spend on the gun. And I've, I've seen a couple of what looked like bog stock Colts advertised for around that price. Um, that's going to get you, uh, that's going to give you a good place to start. Um, and that you can probably get working for not a huge amount of money. And if you don't need, you're going to look like, I, I was going to age myself and say the center spread of the American uh, handgunner magazine. Um, but I suppose it's kind of more for the grams now for you young folks. Um, if you're prepared to, to deal with the fact that the gun may not be grams ready straight away, um, you can kind of build that as you go along um, and just do your final finishing when it's done. Um, but you can add sights and beaver tails and, and shit like that as you go along. Uh, and I suppose the final thought, they actually don't need a huge amount of work. You know, there's this perception that you need to that you need to customize the fuck out of your gun. Um, and you need sights you can see. Um, you need a trigger that's reasonable. I, I like a nice sort of three and a half pound crisp trigger. I don't really like a trigger much lighter than that. Um, yep. And I think my competition gun's probably running about four, four and a half pounds, but it works. I don't fuck with it. Um, I like a slightly bigger than, than sort of traditional Series 70. Um, left side only safety. I, I can't run MB safeties because of my normal size hands. Um, I kind of need a beaver tail to not get bitten. Um, yep. And I need the gun to work. Uh, you don't need a lot of the, the cosmetic shit is nice to have. It's not must have. Um, there's not, uh, there's, and I shot a gun without a beaver tail for a very long time. You know, it, it, it wasn't as nice as beaver tail, but I literally took a, a belt sander and took some of my hammer off and then it stopped making me bleed. Um, and I can shoot a series 70 safety if I have to. So, you know, it's, you don't have to have something that's fully tracked out straight away. Um, once again, depending on what you're using it for. And if you're going to be using it for carry, don't. Um, if you're going to be, you, you know, not a, if you're not sort of invested in the thing, now it's probably not the time to start. Uh, if you're going to be using it for competition, go shoot the thing. See what you need. Uh, because that's the other thing. Guys go, oh, fuck, I have to have this and this and this and this and this. Um, and you may find you don't need all of that. Uh, you know, it's it's not a it's not a necessity that you tick every box on the custom, um, you know, on, on the custom thing. In fact, uh, there are some boxes that you probably don't want to tick. So, yeah. you know, like... An extended and most things are a bad idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, fact. Because guys get, even on, 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 on non-1911s, guys get wrapped up in extended controls. Oh. Um, you're much more likely to interface with those things in a way that you don't like. Either they dig into you when you're shooting the gun or you accidentally activate something when you shouldn't or you activate something, you can't activate something when you should. Um, yes, extended things are generally um, not not what you want. Um, I think that can't speak for everyone in the classic squad, but I think if you look at the at the guns that most of the guys in the classic squad are shooting who are doing well, like even if you look at like overall standings, the dudes are rocking it. Um, no one's running guns that are absolutely fucking outrageous, because the most important thing is reliability. Um, <laughs> They've got sights they can see, they've got decent triggers, they've got magwells, they've got safeties they can deal with. Um, 
they've got beaver tails, uh, but you're not seeing a lot of big gigantic parts. You're not seeing a huge. <laughs> you know, some of the guys have, got, have gotten you know like sexy guns over time. Um, but Jack Side and Classic in this country, the guy to beat at the moment is Ian van der Bank. Um, Ian's gun, it's a great gun. It is, and I and, and I say this with respect, it's ugly as fuck. You, if I showed you a picture of that gun, you would not be, oh my God. Um, but the dude fucking wins matches by a big margin and beats standard shooters with a Colt 1991A1, which was kind of like a cheaper line Colt introduced in 1991. Um and he does great work with that gun. Um, he, like, he shoots that gun at a level that, that most oaks, that, are, that, that there are guys with 100,000 Rand pistols and more than 100,000 Rand pistols can't keep up with. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you don't really need that much titanium nitride um, to win. It's nice to have, but it's not really going to determine whether you win or not. Exactly. So, uh, wrap this up. I think the summary here, I'll do just a quick summary and then then T can tell you guys what he thinks. Um, If you're going to buy a 1911 and you know nothing about them, you should probably reconsider your life choices. Um, If you still want to buy one and you know nothing about them, get someone who actually knows something about them to look at them. Um, Not everyone is going to have a me around, but there are great guys um, if you go and, and, and much more knowledgeable than I will ever be mm-hmm. but if you get the gun to MRST and they give it a once over and they say it's good it's fucking good um, if they say it's not good it's not good don't go I'll negotiate the guy down or like uh, I'll, I'll haggle a bit or what do these guys know they say it's not good it's not fucking good don't buy that gun uh, but get someone competent to look at it um, don't necessarily um I would be much more willing to buy a gun that appears to be a little bit risky in terms of build quality uh, or what's been done to it um, because I understand the machine that can make them work. I would not recommend that someone else does that. Find something unmolested and start there. Make sure it works. Uh, then buy it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's it. Don't, don't try and cheap out. Um, you don't have to spend a fortune, but... Uh, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Thanks. Um, you know, buy a decent gun. Um, and I think the big thing is go into this understanding that it's not it's not like your Shadow 2. Um, and it's definitely not like your plastic people popper. Uh, it's, it's from a different time. It does a different thing. Uh, and uh, if you... <laughs> If you expect if you expect it to to and and we've used the cars analogies a couple of times but that's the thing you know if if you were going to drive down to a long distance in the 1960s um you had supplies and cash car broke down because it was a, a realistic concern um now if your car breaks down uh, it's quite a big surprise because cars are reliable um and the guns are, are pretty much the same. Um, as I say, that's not to say that the that, that 1911s cannot be reliable, um, but they do often take a few more steps to get there. If you can afford it, take a pit crew with you that understands yes. how the guns work. 
and and three spare guns and enough yeah and three spare guns and enough and enough spares to build another three guns from this exactly. <laughs> you'll be good <laughs> and on that note stay fresh cheese bags